Tonight, somber remembrance and unwavering resolve one year into Russia's war with Ukraine. A day of anguish and determination. I'm confident that we'll have this victory. Canada's role from the war front to the home front. We're worried about family, we're worried about friends. Orchestrating change. Our life is our music. In our weapon is our music. A symphonic mission of Ukrainian resistance. Plus, no skating on the Rideau Canal for the first time ever. I was really hoping that at least we could get in one weekend in. Warm weather spoils the world's largest outdoor ring. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Reporting tonight, John Benavalli Rao. Good evening. Exactly a year after a world superpower unleashed its military on Ukraine, the proud nation is not only still standing, the Ukrainian president now predicts a victory in the year ahead. This is what the start of the war looked like, air raid sirens and explosions on day one as Russian rockets rained down. This is where things stood back then with Russian-controlled areas in red. And here's how they look now. Russia grabbed more territory, but Ukraine has also taken some back. On this solemn anniversary, our coverage begins in Kyiv with CTV's chief international correspondent, Paul Workman. To the sound of a solitary drumbeat, Ukraine marked a year of sacrifice, but also its survival. A minute of silence in the grand courtyard of St. Sophia Cathedral. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky declaring his nation and army invincible on the way to victory over their Russian invaders. To all who fight for Ukraine, I want to say I'm proud of you. Let this pride be felt in the streets and in the trenches, he said. Long live Ukraine. awarding the country's highest honor to the families of fallen soldiers. Quietly telling each one, we will never forget. The whole country will never forget. A memorial garden of flags on a somber anniversary. A day of grief mixed with flashbacks of the horror Ukraine has endured. Since the morning, I've been feeling very anxious, she says. I'm crying a little. I buried my son, who died fighting. I also buried my husband. Now I'm on my own, and it's very hard. Help arrived today with the first shipment of leopard tanks from Poland, with many more to follow from other Western countries. As Ukraine's military power grows, and with it, the prospect of battlefield advances. We brought you the first four leopard tanks, said the Polish Prime Minister, to chase away the Russian aggressor as soon as possible. Ukraine's sorrow is deeply agonizing everywhere, but especially so in the city of Bucha, where Russian soldiers tortured and massacred civilians and left their bodies in the streets. 
remembered on this day with graveside tears and loss that feels cruel and unbearable. It's been a year of pain, resilience, and hope, said the Ukrainian president. And if allies remain united like a fist, he said, then Ukraine can win this war. John. Paul Workman leading us off. Thank you. The U.S. is a close ally to Ukraine, but tonight Joe Biden says he will not be sending fighter jets. Biden made the comments in an interview with ABC News. There's things he needs now that we're sending him to put him in a position to be able to make gains this spring and this summer going into the fall. You don't think he needs F-16s now? No, he doesn't need F-16s now. While the prime minister announced new military support. We will deliver four additional Leopard 2 tanks to the armed forces of Ukraine and an armored recovery vehicle. That adds up to eight tanks in total from Canada, along with 5,000 rounds of ammunition. One year ago, the scenes at Ukraine's border crossings were filled with panic and chaos. And today, while not quite as busy, there are still refugees longing to return home and soldiers heading back to the front lines, some of them speaking with our Vanessa Lee in Poland. Armed with training and expertise from allies, including Canada, Ukrainian soldiers get set to cross the border to defend their country at all costs. We will beat Putin, he says. As they make their way toward danger, others are rushing out. It took Tatiana Chaus and her son 22 hours by train from Kharkiv, a city under attack from the start of the war. We woke up to the sound of explosions, planes and bombs, and we hid in the basement for a month. I remember it like it was today, she says. Like at least 8 million others, they ended up fleeing. But after months in Poland, they decided to return home last week in hopes of staying for good. That dream was short-lived. It was too dangerous. Not everyone has the choice to escape. Most Ukrainian men aged 18 to 60 are banned from leaving, including Zoryana Mizji's husband, Roman. He was home celebrating his grandmother's birthday when his car broke down just as the war began. He has not been able to return to Warsaw, where together they run this cafe that is close to their hearts. It is difficult for me as his wife and business partner, she says. Some have decided they've been separated long enough. Elena Kuzmenko and her children are heading home to Dnipro, even though it has been the target of missile strikes. Are you scared? Um, no, no, no. <laughs> I just believe that uh, it's our fate. fate. Uh, if we will survive, we will survive. Here in Poland, the government says more than 900,000 Ukrainians have found work. That's 84% of refugees who are in the job market, now entering a second year in their adopted country. John. All right, Vanessa, thanks so much. Many Ukrainians fleeing the war have also made their way to Canada, and hundreds of thousands hope to do the same. But there are concerns tonight about a special government program aimed at helping such refugees that's set to end in just over a month. With more on that, here's CTV's Manitoba Bureau Chief, Joe Makishon. 
For the Fedorova family, home was once Kiev and Mariupol before the bombs dropped. Now it's an apartment in Winnipeg. And we worry about family, we worry about friends, we worry about all of them. Their father forced to stay behind. It's their mother, Olga, who is working here. Once an interior designer in Ukraine, she's found her place in an architectural firm in the city. And the girls are finishing a university degree, their dream one day to become doctors. Somewhere in the world you can go and they will support you and will help you to uh, assimilate. Canada is not only starting to feel like home, one day it might be home. This family is applying for permanent residency. My hometown uh, destroyed. destroyed uh, in total. The Fedorovas are a small piece of this new diaspora. One year since the war began and Canada has welcomed nearly 170,000 displaced Ukrainians, but there are many more waiting. More than 860,000 temporary resident applications have been received by the federal government through the Canada-Ukraine Authorization for Emergency Travel, or CUIT. Most of those have been approved, but today roughly 300,000 applications are pending, and the existing program is set to expire next month. The numbers are quite large, obviously, as you've seen, and so we, we think it would be not a great decision to, to end a refugee program you know, while the war is still on. From the Office of the Immigration Minister, we continue to closely monitor the ongoing needs of Ukrainians and will adapt our response as needed. A war now dragging into a second year. The Fedorovas know many more people like them who are looking to this nation for support and safety and maybe one day a new home. We will live in Canada. I hope so. Displaced Ukrainians can stay in Canada for up to three years, but there's no clear picture on what the refugee program will look like for those still attempting to come after March 31st. John. Okay, Jill in Winnipeg tonight. Thank you. Ottawa is pledging another $30 million in aid for earthquake relief in Turkey and Syria, with the death toll now surpassing 50,000. $20 million will be spent on humanitarian efforts, while $10 million will go towards matching donations. This, as the rebuild in Turkey has begun, with an estimated 1.5 million people left homeless by the quakes. Remarks about Syrians and other refugees were part of the issue when Canada's conservative leader distanced himself from three of his own MPs today. They were photographed with an outspoken German politician known for her anti-Islam, anti-immigration views. CTV's Judy Trin has more. Own citizens as terrorists. One year ago, far-right German politician Christine Anderson said this about Justin Trudeau's treatment of Freedom Convoy protesters. Mr. Trudeau, you are a disgrace for any democracy. That gained her Canadian fans. On a tour of the country this past week, Anderson's events sold out. She was celebrated by convoy supporters. But Anderson and her German party, the AFD, are also known for racist, anti-immigrant views. Here she is making false claims about refugees in her own country. What we see every day now is people getting uh, uh, knifed down with machetes. Uh, we're talking about brutal, not just rapes, brutal rapes. Anderson would also pose for photos with three federal conservative MPs, Dean Allison, Colin Carey, and former leadership candidate Leslin Lewis. Raises again questions whether this uh, conservative party is willing to sort of play footsie with or, or uh, court the, the, the support 
of those with these extreme views. After the photo surfaced, the opposition leader denounced Anderson. In a statement, Pierre Polyev said Anderson's views were vile and have no place in our politics. Meanwhile, the three MPs said they were not aware of her views and the associations of her and her political party when they met. The prime minister took advantage of the misstep. Consistently, we see conservative parliamentarians and people who should know better associating themselves with folks responsible for a particularly vile level of rhetoric and hatred. And their answer is all the same, oh, we didn't know. We asked the Conservative Party of Canada if the three MPs would face any additional consequences. Party officials would only say their original statement stands. John. Thank you, Judy. Another province has now signed on to Ottawa's health care funding deal. Manitoba is now the sixth to reach an agreement in principle. It will see more than $6.7 billion invested in the province's health care system over the next decade. The money will go towards staffing issues, surgical backlogs, senior care, and mental health services. Time for a short break, but when we come back... I don't believe that was lying at that point. Admissions and denials at a high-profile double murder trial. Plus... It's the first time I've seen snow in a long time. California gets the cold shoulder. The driver accused of intentionally ramming a city bus into a Laval daycare has been found fit to stand trial. Witnesses claim Pierre Nis saint amand behaved erratically at the scene, screaming and stripping naked. That led lawyers to question his mental stability. saint amand will undergo another assessment to determine if he was lucid at the time and if he can be held criminally responsible. The crash killed two young children. Some fierce questions today were aimed at former American lawyer Alex Murdaugh. He's accused of killing his wife and son. For a second day, he took to the stand testifying in his own defense. CTV's Joy Malbin has the details. Once a powerful lawyer in South Carolina, Alex Murdaugh tried to justify why he lied to police the night his wife Maggie and son Paul were brutally murdered. Uh, other than lying to them about going to the kennel, I was cooperative. That were maybe the most important fact of all, that you were at the murder scene with the victims just minutes before they died, right? I did not tell them that I went to the kennel. You've done so Grilled by the prosecution, Murdaugh admits he deceived police about not being at the family dog kennels, the crime scene. That's his voice on this video minutes before the murders. Trying to explain, Murdaugh told court he was addicted to painkillers, popping as many as 60 oxycodone pills a day. That caused me to have paranoid thinking, all right, and then I lied. It's not the only thing he lied about. I have stolen money that did not belong to me, that I misled people to do it, people that I cared about. The prosecution is trying to prove Murdaugh shot his wife and son to gain sympathy, to buy time before his financial crimes were discovered. And you've been able to lie quickly and easily and convincingly if you think it'll save your skin. I have lied well over a decade. 
Still, Murdaugh insists he's telling the truth, insisting he's no killer. I would hurt myself before I would hurt one of them. Hoping that the jury will believe that after coming clean about all his deceptions. Joy Malvin, CTV News, Washington. There were extremely rare blizzard warnings in parts of Southern California today as the region was hit by a slow-moving winter storm. Snowflakes again fell around the famed Hollywood sign, and up to a meter and a half of snow is forecast to fall on some of the mountains near Los Angeles. At least 30 centimeters of snow fell outside a home near San Francisco. The city itself broke a 132-year-old record for the lowest temperature ever recorded on this day dipping to four degrees Celsius. Still ahead, the chilling Rideau record broken. As Ottawa's iconic iceway stays closed. The world's largest skating rink is staying closed for good this season. The Rideau Canal will not open for the first time in 53 years, thanks to a warmer winter. And as CTV's Kevin Gallagher reports, there are fears this could be the start of a trend. Even today's frigid Ottawa temperatures couldn't restore hope of skating on the Rideau Canal this season. An upsetting reality for those wishing to glide along a more iconic sheet of ice. Definitely bucket list. It was the first, like, first time here in Ottawa, so we really, really wanted to go. This winter has been really disappointing. It's kind of scary with climate change that we just haven't really had much of a winter here. It's the first time the skateway won't open since its inaugural season in 1971, with an unseasonably mild winter to blame. For the ice on the Rideau Canal to freeze to a thickness safe enough to skate on, temperatures need to plummet below minus 10 for up to two weeks. And that simply hasn't happened this winter. And there are concerns a warming climate will continue to shorten the skating season. As we look 20 or 30 years into the future, winters like this one where it simply is not cold enough, long enough to build enough ice on the Rideau Canal will unfortunately become a little bit more frequent. The National Capital Commission even tried these so-called slush cannons earlier in the season, hoping to assist nature. Get those crystals on the canal, and that, when the cold temperatures come, that will then help the team work that into ice earlier in the season, or at least that's the hypothesis. With this tourist draw closed, it's not only bad for business, but a blow to a piece of Canada's heritage. Kevin Gallagher, CTV News, Ottawa. Back to Ukraine now, where the first anniversary of the Russian invasion had residents in Kyiv flocking to, of all places, a post office. <laughs> Hundreds waited to buy an exclusive stamp bearing a mural by street artist Banksy. On it, a grown man is thrown to the ground by a child in a judo match. Ukraine's postmaster general says it's a poignant representation of Putin, a judo athlete, being defeated by a much smaller opponent, Ukraine. The original piece is one of several around the Ukrainian capital painted by Banksy during the war. After the break, artists of a different tune boosting resolve. The sounds of solidarity in Ukraine.
Finally for us tonight, the inspiring story of a symphony orchestra in Ukraine making a powerful statement of defiance and hope, pushing back against Putin's invasion with a unique weapon of choice. Here's CTV's Adrian Govriel. On one night in Kyiv, the sound of a nation's soul. Our life is our music. In our weapon is our music. With bows in hand and the flick of a conductor's wrist, one of Ukraine's most prestigious orchestras rehearses ahead of its bold concert inside this historic hall. This is the usual concert, but this is not usual day. Tonight's performance is titled Music of Defiance as Ukraine's National Philharmonic come together to use their own instruments of change to mark the one year of the Russian invasion. Nearly every musician in this orchestra fled the country when the war began. Nearly all have returned, ready to perform, including violinist Oksana Shabovinchuk. Share with the world our music and our life. To see them back here on the stage together tonight, what does that mean to you? This is our cultural front that we, we, we make here. No? This is our country. Music has been a vessel for hope, when all has seemed lost during this conflict. Inside the concert hall, braving the stage takes on new meaning. A little bit nervous today to play music, waiting for the bombs. Even tonight, people yeah. are waiting, yeah. wondering if yeah. the bomb is going to land. Yeah. Yeah. Their concerns are warranted. In October, a missile hit Kyiv's Klitschko Bridge just steps away from this venue. All the windows are broken. Tonight, a cautious, modest crowd came to listen. When I play music, I, I, I'm thinking just about music. Who is Putin? This is the music. This is most important. On this evening, the concert doesn't end on an uplifting note. The Philharmonic have chosen a song by Ukrainian Jewish composer titled Cry and Pray. To mourn the thousands lost, and give strength to those still fighting for their country's freedom. Adrian Gobriel, CTV News, Kyiv, Ukraine. A powerful performance. That's it for us tonight. For Omar Sachedina and the rest of us at CTV National News, thank you for watching. Sandy Ronaldo will be here tomorrow. Have a good night and a great weekend.